This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, a Catholic fraternal benefit society dedicated to helping members achieve financial security through life insurance while supporting the Catholic community through fraternal outreach. Part three. This is our second series that we've done. Ooh, part three of our second series. What are we, the, the, what was the, the thriller, the three? The liturgy trilogy? Yeah, the liturgy trilogy. We can't really do. This is the ecclesiology. Oh, that works. Thrilogy. Thrilogy. That's <laughs> that's not too bad. Okay. I would have never even come up with anything. The the uh, ecclesia. That's how it's pronounced, right? There we go. It's uh, in the world I came from. There were always a couple little like Greek or Hebrew words. That would pop up Which is, now and is interesting, you know, I went to a Lutheran church for a funeral of a buddy of mine, uh, his mom, his mom died, he was a convert, um, and uh, it was uh, uh, Christus Victor, um, huh. which is probably Christus Victor, um, but it's Latin, Luther, you know, so it's kind of funny when Lutheran churches have, have Latin in the, in the title. And um, It's interesting how we... I take comfort in this. I don't understand, to be honest, why the Catholic Church gets picked on so much when it shares actually quite a bit of doctrines and dogmas with Lutherans, with Eastern Orthodox, Anglicans, even Methodists to a degree. Like infant baptism is one of those things. Like you're in a minority if you don't baptize a baby. Right. Now and certainly through all of history, but only it only bothers people that you know Catholics do it. All right, I've talked to friends like you know Lutherans do that too, right? And Anglicans and Orthodox and Methodists actually a lot of you're the minority, but why do you just pick on Catholics for doing that? That's interesting. I don't understand it. I digress. But we always had a couple of like I'd hear sometimes a preacher pull out a Hebrew word or a, a Greek word, and praise God because there's great elements there, but it was always just a tiny bit, you know, it was always just a couple things. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, when I became Catholic, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many other great Greek and Latin and even Hebrew words you'll find popping up everywhere. It was all the rest, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I'm very interested in a phrase I learned um, called the deposit of faith, mm-hmm. and that Christ gave his apostles of uh, deposit of faith, and he gave them the elements and the ability to preserve that deposit of faith until he came back. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, in, in the conversation and the setting of the church that we're talking about, this is, this is really crucial because oftentimes we, we can say like, well, that's that, it, church teaching. Well, the church teaches this. Like, well, what does, what does that mean? Does that mean... Um, the Pope decided, hey, I'm I'm saying this. Right. Or does that mean that the cardinals got together and said, hey, how about we how about we teach the people this? Um, and and especially in for, for Protestants, Bible alone Christians, uh, this this becomes a problem. Like who well who said that's right. that's a man made thing. That's a but fair you, question. Right. But you get this in, in the Catholic world too. I mean, I don't know how many times I hear Catholics say, Well, where's that in the Bible? And I say, Well, it's not. It doesn't have to be in the Bible. Right. Where, where did you come up with the idea that something had to be in the Bible? Right. Uh, that's not what church teaching means. So I, I guess you could say it so several ways. Well, we, so we talked about last last time, right? Like the church isn't 
the Pope and the Cardinals and the bishops and the priests. The church isn't, um, you know, and an primarily an institution. The, the church is primarily a who. Right. Right? You know, so it's uh, the church is bride, the church is mother, uh, the church is the 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 body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the 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 whole the, all all baptized um, members of of the of Christ are the the church. You know, so the church is so multifaceted, yeah. and so when we get to what is the church's teach, what does the church teach about that? Huh. And um, yeah, so the deposit of faith, I think, is I mean, this, this is how we we can speak of it. Uh, think of it. You can think of it a, a sort of analogy, right? Jesus has this, you know, this treasure chest of of items, and he hands this to Peter and the apostles, and he says, "This is this is everything you need to know, and the, all you need to know." Right. Like this is the deposit of faith, and I want you to I want you to preserve this safe for until I come again. I don't want you to add anything to it. I don't want you to subtract anything from it. Right. I just want you to teach it. Right. Now, how and how could they do that if they were all going to die before Jesus came back? Right. And so they have to pass this this treasure ch- chest on. Okay, here now you guys now you guys take it. Now, the analogy breaks apart because each one of them can can hold the the deposit of the treasure chest in its completion, and right. they can and, this, and they can hand that on to others. And every every Christian actually can can hold the deposit of faith and say, "Yes, I believe everything that's in this treasure chest." But then somebody might say to them, "Well, you don't even know everything that's in there." <laughs> right. But what do I know? What do I know know about that treasure chest? I know who I know who gave it to me. Exactly, exactly. I know who gave it to me, and that's actually the the most important thing. When we talk about like holding the faith, that's the most important thing about the faith is that I I know who gave this to me, and I believe it because he gave it to me. Right. Because Jesus uh, entrusted this to the apostles and handed it down to us. I have confidence in that, even though I don't know everything that's in there. Right. And he gave it with the promise of the Holy Spirit. To guide it into all truth, for all time. Right. So it it, it you know it came with the it came with the promise this little this little mustard seed that would grow into an oak tree, you know came with the promise that the Holy Spirit would would guide it, would guide all these imperfect men. I don't think I don't think mustard seeds grow in oak trees. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> but in terms of size. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yes, in terms of size. Um, a seed, an oak seed tree, uh, uh, to an oak tree. I just want to clarify for any of our listeners who are like, "Whoa, I didn't, I didn't know that mustard seeds." Grow we don't teach science or, or uh, <laughs> uh, biology or anything like that. <laughs> on those. But those are two. You know, we see the mustard seed in the oak tree. Yeah, in, in, yeah. In scripture, <laughs> and so I, I think you have like these two, two kind of. Um, uh, so, so he's like, okay, I have this treasure chest, right? I can open it up and I can look at it. I'm like, wow, this there's so much. But what I can't do is take something out. I can't say like, yeah, I don't, I don't like this little, yeah. this treasure, this coin, this bracelet, whatever. I, I'm gonna take it out. No, you can't, you can't do that. No. But you also can't say, ooh, ooh, I got something. Can we put this in the treasure chest? 
you can't do that either. No. Because everything that the Lord gave us is actually perfect. Right. We can't we can't add to what can, can you add to what the Lord has done? <laughs> no. Can you no. can you would you have the audacity to take away from it? No. And is it conceivable that the Lord uh, would leave something out of no. the box? Right? Like he like oops, I for, I forgot. I forgot this. Shoot, I didn't I didn't foresee this this heresy popping up 2000 years from now. Right? What, what do we do? So so this is this is how this is how the 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 content works because we can we can look back and we can say like okay did the apostles you know we we talked about this a little bit before like did the apostles foresee you know um, I, I don't know I mean like stem cell research right it's like well, you tell them like hey so hey Saint Peter can we do stem cell research. Like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. It reminds me every time of that, that passage in John 16 we talked about, where Jesus said, I haven't told you everything yet because you can't bear it. Like, in no way. I'm going to take you 2,000 years in the future and show you the kind of crazy stuff mankind's going to be talking yeah, about. Right. And, and so, but he gave us all the, the, what's in the box is all the the principles, all the stuff that we need to to figure everything else out. And you can kind of think of it like this. Um so I'm not, I'm not a scientist. Uh, it's been a long time since I've had a science class. Uh, so if if I run into some problems here, please, those scientists out there will forgive me. Uh, but let's take the periodic ch- chart, periodic table, right? So we have however many, how many elements are on there? Uh, I should, I could Google it. We'll, we'll Google it so we sound a little bit smarter. And then we'll just <laughs> edit this part out where we talked about Googling it. And then we'll just say like, oh, yeah. <laughs> We, we knew exactly. We periodic table of elements. So, uh, Jeremy, how many how many elements are on the periodic chart? Oh, I'm I'm so happy that you asked. Uh, there's 118. Well, of course, everybody knows that there's yeah. 118. <laughs> and um, now, obviously, at some point we discovered those things. And I don't know. Maybe there's other elements out there to discover. I'm not I'm not sure about that. So, but let's just say we have those 118 things, and that's it. There's no adding to that, subtracting from. We can't just say like, hey, you know what? We don't need the O anymore. Does anybody do anything with that O? Let's get let's get rid of the O. <laughs> no, that's like the worst one to get rid of. Off the Wait, bat. what's that one? That's oxygen. Oh shoot, oxygen. We kind of we, we need what's that one. Monoxygen, carbon monoxide. Let's get rid of the H then. The H. We don't need H. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so obviously we we can't just get rid of we can't get rid of stuff. And even if we thought like, well, I, I mean, what's the what's the, what's the the I for anyway? Do we really need that? And then like, yeah. We, we actually, we, we need it. it, it it's going to come in handy somewhere, somehow. Okay, so we can't get rid of anything, but we can't just, we can just add stuff to it. I, I don't get to just, because, because it's actually, it's actually for one, it's like, it's just impossible. I can't create um, like, a new I'm periodic cr- element. Create a new periodic, yeah. It's like, if, if oxygen didn't exist, I can't like, ooh, what about this thing that we could like breathe and, <laughs> and it's like, no, you, you can't, you can't do that. You can't. That's, right. So so let's say this is this is what's given to scientists and this is all they have. And so what science consists in then is taking taking an H and an O and putting them together and seeing what happens. Right. And like, okay, well, nothing happened when I did that. Let's take two H's and put an O together. Like, whoa, 
We got water. This is awesome. Oh. Right. And then we take we take this and this and the, we take the we take the H two and the the two H's and the O and we add something else to that and see like does this do anything? When we add I, does that do anything? No. Whoa, when that exploded. Add, right. When we, yeah. So oh, <laughs> explosion. Okay. So like you know we, we start to see different combinations. Uh, on what what happens when we hold these things up together? Right. But in the deposit of faith, there's, I mean, like millions of things per se, oh let's gosh. say, you know. It boggles the mind. All right, so like everything that the Lord revealed, everything that's in, in Scripture, everything that he told to his po- apostles, I mean, he's trying to reveal his own heart, his very self, the heart of the Father. And you can't just do this in in propositions, and so it's not like there's propositions in there, but there's kind of propositions in there, and it's like you keep holding those things up next to each other and say like, okay, so when we do this, we learn this. But we didn't make something up. Right. We just we just held two things together. We put two gases together and saw that there was an explosion or they changed colors or, you know, something uh, something grew or, you know, we see, oh, this is this is this is good. And so in a certain sense, uh, it's it could seem like we added something. Right. But water isn't an addition to the periodic table. Right. It's the it's the necessary uh, development outcome. discovery. Yeah. Right. So we're discovering things. We're seeing how things develop, and and as the church develops and has over two thousand years, two thousand years, the theological scientists are putting these things together. And sometimes we have we have no reason to d- discuss these these things. Right. Right. And so, like, let's take let's go back to early church heresy number one, Arianism. Right. You know, and we had some people say, well, we look at we look at this this piece of the the scripture, and it doesn't seem like Jesus was divine. You know, he says he says the Father is greater than I, and so that that sounds like he's not divine. And so we're we're gonna actually say that he's he's not divine. And then there was a moment like the baptism or the transfiguration when God said the Father said, "This is my beloved Son." It's like something happened at that moment, and and so then everybody starts getting involved. All the scientists come and like, okay, well let's let's hold let's hold that proposition up with this proposition. What about when it says when he, when he says to Philip, "If you've seen the Father, you've seen me." I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So now, now we're holding those things up, and we can come to you know the church can teach us definitively. Nope, God, Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus, from the moment of his conception, is divine. He's he he existed with the Father for all eternity as the the immutable Word of God, and um, that's. That's that's a, a building. That's something that we can we can build on. Yeah, someone, some men, had to decide, with some promise of protection, that they wouldn't mess that part up. We even talked about the Council of Jerusalem, you know, earlier. Oh, you know, Jesus actually wasn't really clear if we're supposed to keep circumcising or not. So let's come together. But with the Holy Spirit, right? And they go, and so they like, and so what do we know? What do we know that he he said? Right, right. And then we got to figure it out and decide. I'm, I'm, I imagine the early church also. But I, I, I think that even the word decide is like it's it's not so much a decision right. as I mean in in certain in certain certain circumstances where like they said like hey you know we don't want you to eat meat sacrificed to 
to gods or something like that. Yeah. You know, like this is a decision. Like so, th- there's there's the there's the difference, and this is what we can struggle with too in the church. Like, well, how come the church can uh, decide that Jesus is God, but then you know change a decision on whether we meet on Fridays? Like, okay, so here's two different two different things, yep. right? Uh, one is we've discovered something. One is well. Jesus said that we're supposed to fast. He didn't say how we're supposed to fast, when we're supposed to fast, where we're supposed to fast, on what we're supposed to fast. How long we're supposed, how long to, we're fast. supposed to fast. So these things have, have variables to them. And so the church is going to give us some, just make some, some general instructions for us and say, hey, this is how we're going to fast right now. And, and maybe later we'll change how we're going to fast. But uh, he did tell us uh, these things, you know. Thou shalt not kill. That wasn't just a decision for like a little bit of time. That's actually built on and based on all these other truths that we can't we can't change. We discover we discover it. So there's there's one too. Like okay, uh, thou shalt not murder. Now we get to stem cell research. Okay, so can we can we stem cell research? Like okay, well, well what do we? So so now your your deposit of faith. You might hold you might hold something up like thou shalt not kill with. Uh, a scientific truth, like the moment that a sperm and an egg come together, there's another, a new life. Right. You know, and we hold those things together and say, okay, what well, we couldn't have understood thousands of years ago. Right. Now we can say, okay, we have to treat this thing as a human life because, um, because science has told us that that's what it is. And if that's a human life, then we can't run experiments on it that might result in its death. Right. Because that goes against this. So now we have the church holding up a, a scientific proposition, which in a, in, a, in, a, in a real way is also a type of revelation, it's a natural revelation. And um, which he didn't he didn't put that in the in the scriptures for right. us. He didn't put that in apostolic tradition Correct. for us. And but now we hold those up and say, ah, okay, so stem cell research, no, we can't do um, because of the deposit of faith, because what we know from was given to us from and the And this is what's so interesting to me about, um, about Scripture. I, I had a great analogy that, that Scripture is the, it's the drama of salvation. It is not the front-to-back manual and dictionary for the entire uh, Christian morality mm, right. and way of life. It, it couldn't possibly fit into... I mean, if, if everything Jesus had done were written down, it couldn't fit. The whole world couldn't contain the books. So we know that. And I, But the drama of salvation, I heard it described, Bishop Barham described as, as a drama in five acts. Act one is the creation. Act two is the fall. Act three is the formation of a holy people. Uh, act four is the Messiah. And act five is what we're in right now, which is the church. We're getting close to the end. <laughs> Any moment now, it could and it could be. Uh, but I love that 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 is what Scripture is. I just gave my oldest son uh, his first Bible, the Great Adventure uh, Bible that uh, Ascension Press put together with Jeff Cavins. He's a dear dear friend, and I explain to him now this, and, and it, you, that's probably one of the best Bibles that kind of walks you through the covenants and that drama of salvation. Right, that this is what we need to know God, and that then Christ would leave His church to speak through that church, then through the rest of time as a real entity, as a real voice. Because the Bible can't, you know, if I'm confused about a passage, I can't ask the Bible and have it talk back to me. 
right? That doesn't weaken the Bible, but it just requires an, an interpreter. And I imagine the early church even wrestling with some of the things, the paradoxes, because here we have Paul saying that we're justified by faith. But then James says, we're not justified by faith alone. So, well, what does that mean, right? And that, that was not necessarily argued about for like the first 1,500 years, but became a real turning point in the Reformation. Well, what gave Luther the right or Calvin the right then to decide that actually, in spite of what the last 15 years have taught, this is actually what it meant. Right, and that's, that's where it's such a big difference, right? There wasn't a development there. They actually took the deposit of faith and said, you know, we don't like these things, and we're taking them out. Right. And actually, we're going to have to put a couple things in there because things start to fall apart if we don't. And so long as we don't hold everything up against each other anymore, then, then we can be fine. And actually, one of the things that happens there, too, is you have to develop uh, a hierarchy of, of elements. And, the, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, when we put, when we put this element with this element, then, uh, yeah, we, don't, we just don't do that. Right. So we just, we, just, we just like this element, sola scriptura, and then we don't have to worry about... Um, you know, uh, everything else that Jesus said isn't contained in Scripture, and the pillar and foundation of the truth. I call is... that a, a paradox migraine. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I call. It hurts too much to keep them together. Uh, stop! <laughs> just gonna, just gonna, I'm just gonna them. put that one over. Which, without an authority, without a church, actually does make a lot of sense. Right. If you don't, if you don't view the church as that kind of an authority, or Christ having left some kind of a protective authority. That is your next safest bet is I'm just going to have to trust my gut that the Holy Spirit's telling me what I need to know. Um, but of course, if that were the case, then you wouldn't see 50,000 denominations claiming to be the church um, or to be the right way. And that's where I, th- those were the things and, I just you, couldn't and reconcile. You, and, you, and you can't, you know, like you have to go back. You, you can't, I mean, Protestants tend to break off of each other. We're not like continually breaking off of the Catholic Church. Right. This happens very infrequently, but now churches break off of each other, so they have now an incomplete deposit of faith, and so they break off with that and take some more stuff out and put some more stuff in, and then you know, they break off and like, well, yeah, but we didn't like that and we like this, and so we're going to stir it around. And um, sometimes, sometimes you actually get, like sometimes you see this with various converts, they start putting stuff... They read something and they're like, oh, I like that, and I'm going to put that back into the the box. Right. And lo and behold, it was something that was there from the very beginning, yes. and they start to like, wait a minute. You start putting things back in the box. Right. I mean, I think this is this is Scott Hahn's story, right? His wife, Kimberly, discovers that uh, contraception, uh, the teaching on contraception was actually something from the very early, early church. Yeah. And so they kind of put that back in their own marriage, and then he's like, well... I guess, I mean, the Catholic Church can get one thing right, but then he starts seeing like, oh, well, they got these things right too. And it's if I the slippery put slope. together... <laughs> it's the slippery slope. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem. We, we've talked about St. John Henry Newman and his, his book on the development of doctrine, which a lot of um, uh, you know, Protestant uh, Reformed apologists have sort of recently discovered. And it's something they've got to all... Uh, contend with. Well, when is something, when, when did the Catholic Church change something as opposed to what they claim is being, you know, developed? And I think the Immaculate Conception is probably one of the things they really latch on to as the church, you know, that's a, that was a new thing. Well, no, it wasn't new. And we can go back and, and see very early church writings talking about this. It just was never up for debate. 
You know, right. as old as this church has become over time, it just one year something becomes a sort of hot topic, and the church decides, you know what, we we got to speak on this because it's there's some uh, there's a lack of clarity around it. Mm-hmm. So just like you were talking about, we put these little periodic tables together and say, actually, if you you put these things together, and we go back in through scripture and through reason and through logic and through history, we can find that uh, it makes the most sense that Mary was born uh, without sin and that you know, the Christ needed to be born from a, a, a perfect, unstained vessel. And that just makes sense because X, Y, Z. And so, you know, that, again, was not a stumbling block for me because I, and we talked about authority a long time ago on episode four or five, and that was important for me. It is a hard thing to actually humble yourself and put yourself under, I think, Chester, I'm going to blister this quote. You might remember it, but he said, to be Catholic is to actually acknowledge that there's somebody else that's smarter than me. Yeah, yeah. Pluck up the courage that somebody else in the world is smarter than I. Yeah, and that was, um, it's hard for anybody to do for any number of reasons, but there's so much security there, especially in times where you might not be a particular fan of the Pope that you've got or your archbishop in town to know that Christ is above all of those things and has been working through imperfect men, chose 12 of them, uh, uh, you know, a long time ago, 12 very imperfect guys. I used to always snicker, you know, as a kid reading the Bible, like the disciples just seem so dumb, but here's Christ choosing them. Well, this is, this is what's so great about the Chosen series, which so many people like, is that the apostles are so... Annoyingly human. <laughs> they're always arguing with each other, and they're trying to one up each other, and you know they're just so human. And this and is and this is why I take. This is why I don't have a problem during periods of church history where the leadership is questionable or anything like that. You know, we're, we have all these debates even today. <clears throat> well, because a, and because the leadership is not the church. Correct. And that's so important. Correct. That's so important. And often I think the lady need a reminder that, you know, we've had such these incredible holy popes in the 20th century um, that that we can kind of look back to these glory days. There's never been a golden age of the church. Right. And there never will be. Nope. But we can look at the disciples as a reminder like, oh, we still made it. Yep. Yep. And and that's, I think that's that's kind of the, the takeaway is that um, the church isn't... Uh, a a board that sits together and it's like, hey, what should we what should we enforce now, <coughs> and me. what should we make the people do now, and what should we what's our what's our newest product? It, it's it's more it, we can think of it more as um, you know the the scientists always at work on the the next discovery. Like, oh, look when we when we put these two things together, this is what we we've we've found, and we've. It, it ex- you know that's that's the fun thing about a discovery rather than an invention. Invention is like ooh look at look at you know invention. There, there's pride there. Like I made something. Discovery is like wow. So I think maybe that's a better way to think of the church, not as a, you know the the church. And I, I think of you know it's not just the hierarchy, but it's it's the theologians and it's the saints and you know we're all we're all scientists and we're not we're not inventing things right we're not we're not inventing things and creating things like a frankenstein or anything we're we're discovering things right. we're, we're more like you know archaeologists and digging and we're we're matching things up and we're looking and and there's something beautiful i mean there's the difference between an invention and a discovery 
right. you know, I invent something and I'm like, hey, look what I look what I made. I'm, I'm, there's a pride there, a discovery. There's this great humility there. Like I discovered these these dinosaur bones. Like how cool is this? There were dinosaurs. I mean, like I have nothing to do with this, but that's so amazing. Right. And I think that that. Uh, that that, should, that can help clarify our understanding of what what the church is, what the church does, fundamentally, primarily, uh, and again, not just not just the popes and bishops, but right. the saints, the lay people, were preserving that deposit of faith that the, the Lord uh, entrusted to us. It's not the um, what's the line, the preservation of fire, right? We're not caring for ashes; we're we're preserving fire. I can't remember who said that, but it's like one of my favorite favorite quotes of all time. And it's this great adventure, really, to be part of the church, in spite of all of its loss. It's this it's this great adventure of discovery. Yeah. And to step into that flow, there's nothing like it. There's really nothing like it. Yeah. There we go. Part three down on the church. Uh, join us uh, next week for another episode. God bless you guys. At Catholic Order of Foresters, we're committed to bringing Catholic values to life and financially protecting Catholic families right here in Minnesota. Our members enjoy benefits like scholarship eligibility and peace of mind knowing their family is secure, even if something happens to them. Each year, thousands join us to support people in need through our Feeding God's Children events, spirituality tap-ins, and mission trips. Wouldn't you love to be a part of an organization that embodies your Catholic values? Find out how you can be a part of Catholic Order of Foresters by calling General Agent Brian Markiton at 763-658-4009. That's Brian at 763-658-4009.